Um, Well, today is starting a new sermon series over the next number of weeks called Voices, and we are privileged to have the Agbula family with us today. Steve Agbula, yeah, let's give it up. Um, Steve, come on out here, brother. Many of you know the Agbula family. Steve uh, was, a, was a pastor here at Redemption Hill, um, and, and about a year ago, moved out to the Springfield area to, p- to plant Children of Light Church. And so Steve's here. Where's F- Felucia? Felucia's out here, somebody. I, I probably she went can't. To move the car. Okay, Felucia wanted to move the car. Felucia, we've got Faith and Michael. Good to have you guys back with us. We are honored Thank you, and blessed for you to come and serve us today. So let me just pray. Let's probe our time for, for Steve um, and as we receive God's word. Father, God, you've been so good to us. God, we thank you for the gift of the local church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God, we thank you uh, for men like Steve who are gonna, who's going to faithfully serve us today. And so, God, we pray as he opens your word, God, would you give us receptive hearts? God, we pray that our hearts would, would be a soil that is hungry to know you and to follow you. And so, Spirit, would you come and take your Spirit-inspired word and continue to transform us into your likeness? God, would you build your church and would you grow us and propel us on mission for you? So, God, bless this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Steve, thank thank you, brother, for being with us. Love you, man. Love you too, man. Hey, family. Hi, family. Good morning. It's good to see you all. Miss you guys so much. <laughs> it's so good to see everyone today. I want to say a big thank you to you all. I mean, I see so many faces that we know, and I also see many new faces as well. And I'm so glad to see and to meet all the new people as well. So um, I want to say that I want to say thank you all for your prayers. Your prayers are indeed effective on our lives. I want to appreciate all of you who pray for us call us to check on us. Even people who have traveled down to actually see us want to say a big thank you to you all. Yeah, I mean, our family love you guys so much, and we always know this is home. So we were sent out there. If the mission finishes, we're coming back home by God's grace, if the Lord wills. So that's, that's it. So um, I know that, I mean, I've been following what's been going on here as a family, I still meet and pray with the elders here, and I'm thankful for all their support and all their help. So I know that in the past few months, we've been talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's in the spirit of that, there's been so much deposit that has been given us here. So it's, it's in the spirit of that that I'll be, all of us will be challenged from the Word of God this morning. So what I, I know Sony preached from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 a few weeks ago. I listened to that. And what I want us to do is, I want us to pray together from um, uh, a verse of Scripture in that passage. So I, all of us will pray this prayer together. So let's pray from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. So how about we all read it out together aloud? Let's all of us read it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 12. Let's read it together now. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have received a spirit not from the world, but from God. 
And he has given us that spirit so that we may understand the things God has freely given us. So I want you to pray for yourself now. Let's all of us, all of us are going to pray together right now. So pray for yourself now. All of us pray for one minute now and say, God, please help me to understand the things that have been freely given me by God. You know, Paul said in the book of uh, Galatians, he said, if a son is in the home and is still a child and is not matured, he doesn't understand the rights he has and he is no better than a slave. But Paul wants us all to mature. So let's feel right now, God, please help me to understand all the things you've freely given me as your child. Let's pray now, all of us together. Let's pray together now. In Jesus' name have we prayed. Father, help us. Father, we come as your sons and your daughters this morning. Help us to understand the things you've freely given us, O oh God. We thank you, Father. We want to walk in the privilege of the things you have given us. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, I want to commend you all. It's one of the authors there of the year, and all of us are here blowing our fans. It's not easy. So all of us will endure this together. I mean, that's part of the things we're called to as a follower of Jesus. We're called to actually endure. So if this is, if we're just supposed to endure the eat this morning, let's endure, friends. <laughs> so um, our meditation this morning will be, will be coming from the Gospel of John. So John was a beloved apostle of our Lord Jesus. So we're going to be in John chapter 19. So I'll just give you the settings of that story. Then we're going to read a, a snippet from there. So the setting is, this was one of the last days of Jesus on earth as a man before he was crucified. So there are some actors in the story we're going to read. We have Jesus himself, the Son of God, our Savior. We have the Jews and the Jewish leaders. And then we have the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. So that's the settings here. So the Jews, jealous of Jesus, they wanted, him to, they wanted to kill him. That's the setting here. They wanted to kill Jesus. But they had no such authority to kill him. So they needed the approval of the Roman governor to execute him. So they had arrested Jesus, and they took him to Pilate. So that's where we come to in our point of the story this morning in John 19. So I read from John 19, chapter 5, uh, sorry, John 19, verses 5 to 11, and we'll see what the Lord will teach us from there this morning. So I read. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, 
Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you will have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. You will have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So what I want us to do this morning is, and I want us the Lord himself to teach us. So let's observe some things here from this passage this morning. So you note that it was like, oh, um, Jesus, where are you from? He was questioning Jesus, but Jesus said nothing. It was silent. But when it came to a point, when Pilate mentioned something crucial, something important, Jesus spoke up. And what did Pilate say? He was bragging. He said, don't you know, I have the authority to crucify you or the authority to release you. He was bragging about his authority. He was bragging about what he could do to Jesus. The Jewish leader had no such authority. But Pilate said, I have the authority to release you for crucifixion or to actually crucify you. Pilate recognized that he had authority. And our Lord pointed out to him. He said, you will have, you're bragging about this authority, but it's not even from you. You will have no authority over me unless it has been given you from above. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to think about the word authority and how it applies to us as believers. That's exactly what I want us to do this morning. I want the Lord himself to teach us about authority. About authority. What authority? Do, do I know I have authority? Do I have authority? And if I do, where is the authority from? That's exactly what I want to talk about this morning. I pray the Lord himself will teach us. Whatever area, whatever we need to learn from this, God will himself make it known plain to us this morning. So the word authority, if you look at that word, it means the power to do something. It also means the right or the privilege to be able to do something. Authority basically is the power to do something. You have a right, you have a privilege to do something. That's basically the meaning of the word authority. And mind you, like Jesus wanted Pilate to know, you have no power over me unless it has been given you from above. So authority is almost always delegated. It's almost always given. So I want us to think together this morning. I mean, I love it when people, talk. I'm, I'm going to ask questions. I want you guys to talk back. Right. So uh, let's think about this together now. Can you guys give me an example of someone that has authority? Maybe one of the jobs that comes with authority? The president. Thank you, my sister Francine. The president. So what authority does, does he have? He, I mean, he has many, but just tell one. Just give me one. These are civics now. Civic studies now. One authority of the US president? What? Yes, he's the head of the military. He can command the military to go and come. He can do that. He's the head of the military. So question, so who gave the president power? The 
people, the people, we the people, right? That's what we say, we the people. We gave the president the power to do that, right? So authority of the president is given by the people. That's democracy, right? So a banker, so think about this. You go to the bank, and many of us, I know we don't go to the bank anymore, right? So if I go to the bank, I mean the old school type of bank, and there is a bank vault. In the bank vault, there's a lot of money there, right? The banker, maybe the manager has the authority to go in there and check things, right? So if I were to go into the bank vault, what would people say? I'm not a banker, so you know. What would people say? What? Yeah, I'm about to rob the bank. I have no such authority. So we see that bankers have a right or a privilege to go into the bank vault, and I have no such authority. A surgeon, what authority does a surgeon have? Hmm? To what? I want to hear you guys. What? Yeah, an authority has authority to operate on someone to perform a surgery. A nurse does not have that. So I'll give you an example now. So my wife, both of us, uh, we train as physicians in Nigeria. And um, as part of our training, one of the things they'll actually make you do is you've learned the theory of whatever part of the body you're learning about. Then you have to perform certain procedures. So before you can perform a procedure, you first need to observe. You observe the procedure. So we actually have logbooks of, oh, this is what we've done. So you observe whatever procedure. Oh, I've observed 10 cases of appendectomy of a particular kind of surgery. You observe. Then the next thing they make you do is you assist the person who is performing, the skilled surgeon who is doing the procedure. You assist them. Before, then you have to assist a certain number before now you can go out on your own and actually attempt to perform the surgery. That's the way it works. So um, I'll share a story from my wife's experience now. So she was working in a rural hospital in Nigeria. I mean, we have, so we have different categories of hospitals, and they can attend to different things. So this day, they brought in a woman who was in acute pain. She had been suffering for several days. So she came in into the ED, and she needed to be operated on. And here was Felicia, a fresh graduate from medical school. She was just beginning her training, no idea what to do. Mind you, she had observed many of such procedures. She had assisted many of such procedures, but she had never attempted any of them. This woman was brought in. She was suffering. She was crying. She was groaning. And they brought her in. And guess what? In that local hospital where she was working, they had like four doctors in that. They were overworked. So whenever you're off, you're like, thank God I'm off. You're shutting off your phone. So this woman came in at an off period. It was sometimes in the middle of the night. She was the only doctor on duty. The youngest doctor, the least experienced doctor on duty, she was that person. And, and I, she, but she said, I've never done this before. So she picked up the phone. She called the head of the hospital, like, Dr. Dees, would you please come? There's an emergency. No one picked up the phone. She called the other three doctors. No one picked up the phone. She was panicking. What am I going to do? She called me. 
I mean, I don't work there, so I'm not authorized to go in there and work as well. So she, what, what would she do? But thank God, there was no way they could move that woman to, the next hospital was like 100 miles away, about, the, about that, something had to be done for her there. So there was an experienced nurse there. This experienced nurse was older, had operated with, had assisted, but he was not authorized to perform that surgery. As a nurse, he just assists in the setting, but you're not authorized to do it. But the guy had seen it done several times. So he said, Dr. Aguala, don't worry. I've seen this done many times. I know you've never done this, but how about you make an attempt so that we save this woman's life? So Dr. Aguala said, okay. I mean, she called me and said, I'm going to do it. I said, yeah, the Lord be with you. So this woman's life was hanging in the balance, and my wife was there looking at this groaning, suffering woman. So they took her to the ED, and thank God, with the guidance of this experienced operating nurse, she performed the surgery, and the woman lived. Praise God. So she attempted the surgery, even though she had never done it before. She attempted this. She knew that she had authority to do it, but not the experience to do it. So friends, I want to ask us this morning, as we look at the subject of authority, do you know what authority you have as a believer? Believers, do you know what authority you have? Do you know what you can do with your authority? Do you know where your authority is from? Do you know? You know, Pilate was a man of the world. He knew he had authority and he was bragging about this authority. Felicia knew she had authority, she was authorized to do it, but she didn't know how to do it. She was inexperienced. She was frankly calling for help. But with the help of this person, she did it. So believers, what authorities do we have? So I want us, so our call, our call this morning is, let us attempt greater things. That's what I'm calling us to walk in this morning. That as a church, we will come together. As followers of Jesus, we will come together and we will attempt greater things for Jesus. For Luther, attempted something that was, I said, oh, I can't do this. So the call this morning is, you may be like her. You may be calling Pastor Tana. Pastor Tana, right now, I see a woman right now who is deaf. I don't know what to do. Maybe that's what we've, we've always done. May call Pastor John. May call Pastor Reddy. Reddy, oh, I see somebody right now. I don't know what to do. Would you help? What if they're not there? What if they're not there? So let's see what authority each one of us has as believers. So in John, again, the Apostle John is going to help us understand this concept of authority. So in John chapter 1, so John chapter 1 from verse 12 now. I'll read verse 12 and 13. The Apostle John writes here, he said, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So the Amplified, that word right there, it's authority. He, Jesus, anyone who receives Jesus, he gives them the authority, the right, the privilege to become the children of God. 
So what authority do we have as believers, anyone who believes in Jesus? They become children of God. That's what we become. We become children of God. Children of God like Jesus, right? Jesus is the Son of God. And when we believe in this Jesus, we also have authority to become children of God. Jesus becomes our older brother, and we follow him. So if somebody is here today and you've never believed in Jesus, today is your day. Today is your day. Think about this. The most powerful man in the world, I don't know, maybe he's the U.S. president, I don't know. But assuming the U.S. president says, I'm going to adopt you, you come into certain rights. What great privilege that is. So Jesus brings us home and he says, Father, these are my friends. Adopt them as your sons and as your daughters. So you have authority to become the children, the sons and the daughters of the Most High God. That's where your authority comes from. So, you know, the Apostle Paul tells us that we actually become joint heirs with Jesus. In John 17, actually, Jesus actually tells us that God the Father loves us as much as he loves him. That's the kind of right and privilege we enter when we come into Jesus. So if somebody is here, you don't feel any love from anyone, Jesus loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, no matter where, whatever you've been, Jesus loves you regardless of what you've done. He doesn't care what you've done. He said, come to me. While you were still a sinner, he loved you and he died for you. So if you're feeling unloved today, I want to tell you that God loves you. You are loved as much as God loves Jesus. So the next thing I want us to think about is, as we think of this concept of the believer's authority, the apostle John again tells us in John 14, Jesus was speaking here now. In John 14 from verse 12, through 14, this is what the apostle writes. said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, let's say together, whoever believes in me. Yes, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than this will we do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So think about this. So what authority do we have as children of God? to do the works of Jesus. Because Jesus has said, he said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Think about that. If you believe in Jesus, you will also do the works that Jesus did. Whoever believes in me, who believes in Jesus today? Hands up, who believes in Jesus? If you don't, we're praying God will open your eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. So whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. That's what Jesus said. And not just that, he said, greater works than these will they do, will you do, if you believe in Jesus. I know, you're like, huh? 
I can do the works that Jesus did. That's what the Bible says. And that's exactly what it is. I want you to notice here. He said, whenever you ask in my name, in my name. I remember a time we're in this passage, and when we go to verse, um, when we go to that verse 13, Michael said, is that really true? If you ask Jesus anything, we'll do it. Is that really true? It is true, but he said, it has to be in my name, on my behalf, as my representative, in the manner in which I would ask. That's how you got to ask. Not to ask to fulfill my own selfish passion. That is not in Jesus' name. That is not in Jesus' name. If I'm asking, oh God, give me this car so I can have the best car in my neighborhood and people see me and like, oh yeah, the man has arrived. Oh God, give me this power so I can heal people and people will know, yes, the greatest apostle has arrived in town. That's in your name, not in the name of Jesus. So he said, if you, whatever you ask, in my name, on my behalf, as my representative, wherever you are, if you go there as my representative, I will do it. That's what Jesus said. So what authority do we have? We have authority to do the works that Jesus did. So somebody will ask me, what works did Jesus do? Let's see now. In Matthew chapter 4, I mean, you also see the same thing recorded in Matthew chapter 9, from verse, from verse 35 down as well. In Matthew chapter 4, from verse 23, Jesus here now, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing heavy disease, and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Jesus healed them. So what works did Jesus do from this passage? Hmm? What? He healed them. He healed them. The works of Jesus. He was setting the oppressed free. Luke 4 tells us that. He came to give liberty to all. So, if you were to say that, um, if, if we look at the works of Jesus as a whole, the works of Jesus as a whole is basically to rescue mankind from the old of Satan. That's the work of Jesus as a whole. If you have to say one word to describe the work that Jesus came to do, it's rescue. Jesus came to rescue the oppressed. He came to set them free. He came to deliver those who are held in bondage. That is what Jesus came to do. So John tells us, Again, in his letter now, he said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of Satan. John tells us again in John 10, 10 he said, the thief, that's Satan now, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said, I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it life more abundantly. That's what Jesus came to do. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I know we all see the works of Satan around us. I mean, where we're, I mean where, where we're from, there are tons. What would you call this? A 19-year-old lady meets a man, they fall in love, and within three years, they have three kids. And in their fourth year, they had a baby coming on the way, 
And then the young man suddenly dies. What is that? That is the work of Satan. The man dies, and the baby comes two months after. The mother, the traumatized 22-year-old lady, she was like, she doesn't know what to do. DCF came, took away all the four babies. And I saw her in the park. She was just there. She was like, yeah, this is it. I'm, my husband is lost, gone. My four children are also gone. There is nothing. Two months ago, you had everything. You had the world in front of you. And then it's all gone. None. Alone. Alone. Felt abandoned. That's the work of Satan. And I'm sure you all see this all around you as well. These works are present among us. How do we comfort people like that? There are tons of this. The works of Satan are seen in addiction, addiction to substances. A man at my old job, you always see him around everywhere, is addicted to alcohol. Every time I go by downtown Boston, the guy will, I'll see the guy, talk to him. He was like, oh, I used to walk in one of these buildings, but I started drinking. My wife and my kids left me, and now I'm on the street. And now he's on the street. That is a work of Satan. When he holds people down and they can't break free, that is a work of Satan. I met this man, and I saw him. He was just, he was eating out of the trash. I was wondering, what would make someone be eating out of the trash? I went over to him. I'm like, you want to buy lunch? So we, got, we sat down, we're eating lunch together. And he was telling me a story. He said, his life wasn't like this. I'm like, what happened to you? He said, my life started going downhill when my brother, 15-year-old brother, a straight A student, suddenly stabbed my 51-year-old mother 52 times in the neck in the middle of the night. So that's when my life started going down. And then I said to the guy, I said, that must be demonic. He said, well, he doesn't even think about demons, but what he knows is that. When he checked his brother's phone, they saw these pictures of devils and whatnot on the phone when the police got the phone. That's the work of Satan. And we see these kinds of works around us all the time. We see these works around us all the time. That he is the works of Satan. And Jesus came to rescue mankind from every work of Satan. That's what Jesus came to do. That is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to rescue mankind from every manifestation of the works of Satan. He came to destroy them all. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to liberate man. If you, see, if you read through the gospel, you see Jesus going from place to place, overwhelmed and overworked, delivering people from satanic attacks. That's what Jesus came to do. That is the work of Jesus. Friends, I know you know this. The Bible already said it. it said the old world is groaning as in the pain of childbirth. The world around us is groaning. They are crying. They are looking for a savior or deliverer, somebody that will get them out of their misery. The world around us is groaning. It is real. The world is groaning. The world is groaning. We see pains everywhere around us. The world is groaning. And Jesus came to set people free. Jesus came to rescue them from every affliction. That's what Jesus came to do. So my friends, I want to ask us a question today. 
did, did the works of Jesus stop after his ascension to heaven? Did it stop? Did it stop? It did not stop. Thank you. I mean, it's right to thank you. The works of Jesus did not stop after his ascension. Because what did he do? He commissioned the 12. I mean, you know, in John, sorry, in Matthew chapter 9, like you, maybe feeling not ready right now. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the people, he saw that they were helpless and alas, like sheep without a shepherd. That's verse 35 now. And when he saw them, he was like, oh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In the same way, Jesus is saying today, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And what did he do? He said, pray that God will send laborers into his harvest field. That's what he said. And then what did he do? In 10 verse 1, then he called the 12 and he commissioned them. He gave them power to go. Jesus saw the me. He didn't just say, he prayed. And then he God the 12, he did something about it. He didn't just say pray. He prayed, then he sent the 12 out. And after that, he sent the 72 out again. In Luke 10, 19, he said, I give you authority over snakes and scorpions and over all the works of Satan. He told the 72 there. He gave them power. The 72 did the work, and they came back rejoicing. The demons were subject to us. The demons were subject to us. They came back rejoicing. Is that same power that walked in the 72? Is that same power still here today? Is Jesus that walked in them, is he still in us today? Is he still with us here today? Thank you. He is here. So Jesus sent the 12 with his power, with his authority. He sent the 72 and the people after them. And in John... I mean, in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, he was speaking to the twelve, he said, so have I sent you as well. And the same word is being said to us. As the Father has sent his Son, Jesus, to go do his works. Jesus said, my Father is always working, and even so, I am working. God's work is to set mankind free from the old of Satan. That is the work of God. And Jesus and the Father sent Jesus, and Jesus went. And Jesus is saying, I am sending you as well. You should, you should also go and do the same works as well. The Father sent the Son, Jesus. The Son is also sending us as well, that we should go and do the works of Jesus. I mean, how do we, so what did the early believers do? Let's see Mark, in Mark 16. In Mark chapter 16, you can basically say this is a summary of the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Because in the Acts of the Apostles, we saw the early church, the early believers. How did they go about doing the works that Jesus did? That's what we're going to see now. In Acts 16 from verse 20, and he said to them, Jesus said to them, he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. Believers in Jesus, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. That's the work of Jesus. 
Then, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. They went out and preached everywhere. While the Lord, it was Jesus walking in them. While the Lord walked with them and confirmed the, past, the message by accompanying signs. They went out, they did the work, and Jesus confirmed the word they spoke by signs that followed them. The early church went out. We saw that documented clearly in the book of Acts. They served God in their generation. What about our generation, my friends? It's required of David in Acts 13 that David served God in his own generation. If you look at the ills of faith, you can talk about Femi, Wesley. You can talk about them all. They served God in their generation. What about our generation? What about, what about our generation? Are we going to continue the works of Jesus in our generation? It was William Carey that said, expect great things from, from God. Attempt great things for God. He went out as a first missionary. Have there, he said, we are going to go out. We're going to attempt great things for God. So my friends today, seeing the groans of our world, of our generation, are we also going to step up and attempt great things for God? Are we going to step up and believe and expect great things that God can do great things through us? Are we going to step up and believe that? So as we finish up now, what I want us to do is let's think about some principles about attempting great things for God. And I want to call us, I mean, there are several examples I can use, but I'll call us to this example as set up by our Lord. You know, all of us have read the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 or the 5,000, but there's something about all of this that I want us to see this morning from Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, I'm going to read from verse 32 now. Then Jesus called his disciples and said to him, I have compassion on the crowd because they had been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And I know we've read this many times over, but this is what I want us to learn. Let's learn these principles about attempting great things for God. What's principle number one? Principle number one here is compassion. Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd. I have compassion on the crowd. My friends, where is our compassion? When we see the autumn, when we see those that are under the bondage of Satan, I ask us, where is our compassion? 
You know, in that same Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus saw the people, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Where is our compassion for the lost? Where is our compassion for those who are suffering and those who are in trouble? Where is our compassion for them? Do we feel what they feel? Jesus said, I have compassion for them. Where is our compassion, my friends? If we don't have compassion for people, we're never going to do great works for Jesus. Without compassion, we can never attempt to do any great work for Jesus. It starts, number one, with compassion. When we see those in trouble, does our hearts go with them? Do we feel their pain? Do we feel their suffering? Do we want to do something about what they are feeling? Compassion. Jesus had compassion for the crowd. And number two is, you know, if you, if you, if you observe verse 32, when he said, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry. I am not willing to send them away hungry. My friends, if we are willing to see those suffering continue to suffer, they'll continue to suffer. We must accept responsibility that we have authority. With authority comes responsibility. With authority comes responsibility. With authority comes responsibility. So we must, we must have this unwillingness. No, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to ask questions about it. So Jesus said, oh, how many loaves do you have? Because he accepted I'm responsible and I'm going to do something. He said, how many loaves do you have? He was asking questions about what can we do? Or do we just see people suffering? I mean, I, uh, forget about it. Are we asking questions when we see suffering? Why is that man suffering? Why is that man sick? Why does he have cancer? Since when have you had cancer? Where have you seen a doctor? We tend to, we may assume, oh, he's seen a doctor. He's seen this, he's seen that. Let's not assume. Let's ask questions. Let's accept responsibility, that responsibility. I'm going to do, is there something I can do about this? Is there someone I know? Even if you can do something, is there someone you know? Is there someone you know? I was, a meeting, I was at a meeting on Thursday night, and a, me, a big need came up. One woman, very, very messy situation. Five children. She just came back from jail. She was living in a very, very bad house. And I mean, you see, I'm sweating here right now. I went into the house on Thursday. I was like, what is this? This place was, you could see condensation on the window. Five kids living there. The 11-year-old came back home with a gun. The mother was like, I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was moved by something. The people we gathered with that night, they were like, we're going to do something about this. They started asking questions. Even though we may not have the resources to help, but we, we probably know someone that can help. Are we willing to accept responsibility for people when we see them suffering, when we see them in need? Are we willing to accept responsibility? I am unwilling to see this suffering continue. I am unwilling to see this person continue to be in bounded to Satan. I am unwilling to continue to see this person addicted to alcohol, to drugs. No, I'm unwilling. I'm going to do something with them to get them out of that situation. I'm going to call on Jesus to help. If we are willing, 
to see, to see people suffer, they'll continue to suffer. Are we going to be like Jesus? I'm unwilling. Nope. I'm unwilling for, to send them away hungry. No, I don't want them hungry. I want them to be fed. And lastly, in this passage, and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. There are different forms of prayer. Thanksgiving is one of those prayers. It's one of those. He prayed. He prayed. Jesus prayed. My friends, prayerlessness causes powerlessness. Have we paused to consider that perhaps the reason for our powerlessness, the reason for the ineffectiveness of our authority when we try to exercise them is because of our prayerlessness. The disciples of Jesus, they kept the log. Like they tell medical trainees who also do, you keep a log. I have logged this number of observations. I have logged this number of assists. I have logged this number of attempts to do this thing. These guys were keeping a log. They're like, Jesus, why could we not cast that devil out? What did Jesus tell them? Jesus said to them in Mark 9, he said, this kind could not be driven out but anything but prayer. Have we paused to consider that perhaps the reason for our lack of effectiveness, for our lack of authority and power is our prayerlessness? Our prayerlessness. Somebody may tell me, oh, I, 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 oh, I pray all the time. Praise God. Jesus prayed all the time. But let's read the way Jesus did, as recorded in the Gospels. We'll see Jesus, he will go alone by himself, and he'll spend hours in praying, in prayer. How many times have we, I agree, we pray, all, all, we pray all the time. We're praying without ceasing. But let's, Jesus did that. But let's do like Jesus did. He will, gather, he will go alone by himself, and he'll spend time praying, so as not to be distracted. I'm praying, or I'm like, I'm praying, and I'm texting my friends in Nigeria. Oh, I'm talking about soccer scores, basketball scores, and I'm praying. Jesus was not doing that when he went alone to be by himself to pray. Let's pray the way Jesus did. Jesus prayed early. He prioritized prayer. He would get up in the morning to pray. Are we getting up early to pray like Jesus prayed? Let's get up early. Let's do the way Jesus did. I'm not saying do the way Stephen does it. No. We're followers of Jesus. We're not followers of John. We're not followers of Tana already. We're followers of Jesus. So let's see his example. He said he is the author and the, he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He said, looking unto Jesus. So let's take him as a perfect example. And mind you, Jesus also prayed in groups as well. He would take his disciples with him. Sometimes he would take the three. Sometimes he would take the twelve. So can we also gather with other people? If we pray alone, praise God, we pray alone. But can we also gather with others as well? We have opportunities to pray, to, inf- to, to increase our effectiveness, to increase our authority if we're going to do the works of Jesus. We have pre-service prayer every Sunday. We have fire nights once a month. We have, I know some people pray, Pastor Tana leads a prayer group on Friday, Mel and Tommy and some other, and Tony and Co. They also pray together on Wednesdays as well. 
So we have no excuse to say we don't have any for prayer. Prayer, we only do one thing. It will only increase our effectiveness. Whether we like it or not, as children of God like Jesus, we have been called to do the works of Jesus. The question is this, are we going to take up this responsibility? I'll tell you a story, one final story now as we close. One of the young women I know in Springfield now, Kim. Kim, she's a dancer, she broke her leg, so she's gonna go off dancing now. I think she's 21 or 22. So Kim was flying to Seattle. She had, they had a dance meeting that she was gonna go do. She was flying there from Bradley in Connecticut. And she, um, she missed her flight. And she was feeling very miserable that, oh God, look at all the mess I've caused today. I missed my flight. What am I going to do today? She was, she was like, ah, oh, not again. There was a long line. She missed that flight. And as she was just pitying herself, she was coming back, sad, dejected, in a pity party state. She saw a woman and a little girl, about four years old. And as she saw them, Something said to her, go pray for that woman. She was like, not this morning. I am feeling sad. Why am I going to go and pray for this woman and her daughter? Why should I go do that? So eventually she gave in to, to, to the spirit walking her. She went over there and said, oh, uh, I just saw you and your daughter. And I, was, I, and I was wondering, could I pray for your daughter? The daughter had hip locks. And so she had hearing aids. Apparently, since, since the girl was born, she's not been able to hear, so they gave her hearing aids. So she uses hearing aids to hear. So she said, can I pray for your daughter? The woman said, oh, sure, why not? I'll go prayer. So um, this was Kim, a dancer, not a pastor, a preacher now, going out of her comfort zone to do this. On a day, she least wanted to do anything with the gospel. She was feeling down. So she goes there. So the woman said, pray. So she told them to remove the earring head. And she's going to pray that. The girl, well, the Bible says, Jesus is in me. And if Jesus is in me, he's also doing his work. So I'm going to stand here as a representative of Jesus to pray for your daughter, that she will receive her hearing like Jesus is here. The woman said, sure, why not? So, decide, so she prayed the first time. She did this with the girl's hair. The girl, the, girl, the girl did not respond to anything. Like me, if it were me, I'm like, yeah, I'm out of here now. Jesus did not answer that prayer. I'm gone. A second time she prayed again. He said, I'm going to pray again for you now. She prayed again and did this again. The girl did not even respond to anything. She had no hearing, so she, there was no response. I know if you're anything like me, I'm like, oh no, Jesus has filled me today. I'm out. She prayed again the third time. I'm like, Jesus, you're in me. You are here. Would you heal this girl right now? And as she prayed, she did this again. The, girl, the little girl was like, was like this. She was like this. The mother said, I can't believe this. Right there at the airport. The, young, the four-year-old hearing was restored. It's not Kim, it's Jesus 
in Him. Say, behold, I am with you always. Jesus is here with you right now. Lord, Jesus is with you right now. He's in you. By his time, he's there. Pedro, Jesus is with you right now. And he calls us to go out and join his rescue work. To do the works Jesus did. Believers, if you are a believer here today, we've been called to do the works of Jesus in compassion. Let's feel a sense of responsibility for people that this, if Jesus was there, he would do this work. And let's do work in prayer as well. That's where our power comes from. I'm good. Thank you, Connor. You're the best. I'll take this. <laughs> Connor is there to the rescue. Thank you, Connor. So as we close now, can we also get to a place where we're keeping a log off. Even if you pray for someone, you pray for the death and they don't hear, can you go back and say, Jesus, I prayed for somebody who was deaf today, but they never heard. Can you take it to free service and say, ah, Sony, Pastor John, what happened? I prayed for this person, they did not hear. What happened? What should we do? We'll take it to Jesus together. Can you go to those, your discipleship meetings and say, ah, friends, I prayed for this person, but they never heard. What happened? The blind did not say, what happened? We're keeping a log, and we're telling Jesus. We're holding Jesus accountable. Say, Jesus, you said you would do this. How about you start now? Let's keep a record of what we're doing and take it back to Jesus. Jesus, why could we not cast it out? Let's ask him. So, my friends, the point of all my sweating this morning is this. Our world is groaning in pains. If you step out of your comfort zone, you'll see the groaning all around us. If you step out of your comfortable offices, your comfortable homes, we'll see we live in a world that is groaning in pains. Jesus, God's son, came into the world to rescue mankind from Satan's oppression. Believers, children of God like Jesus, we are authorized and we're responsible to continue Jesus' work today. Your authority can save a life, just like Felicia. She was inexperienced, but she was authorized. And in the exercise of authority, she was able to save a life. You may think, who am I? <laughs> I'm, the sm I'm, the, I'm the smallest disciple here in this church. Like David said, say I'm the last born in my father's family. Why would you call me to lead a, why would you call me to leadership? To, 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 to lead your people. You may be feeling so insufficient. Paul said, no one is sufficient for these things. None of us. It's not in any of us. It is Jesus who is doing his work. You are not sufficient. I am not sufficient. No one is sufficient for this work. None of us. Your authority can save a life. Will you step up today and persist in attempting the greater works of Jesus? Let's step up today. Jesus said, greater works than these are we going to do. Faith, Sarah, can we rise, step up, and do the works Jesus did? He's counting on us. He's counting on you, on me, Monica, John. He's counting on all of us. Wherever we are, church, let's arise. Let's do the works Jesus did.
Jesus is counting on us. The world is groaning. They are waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. Not slaves, not immature children who don't know their right from their left. The time is now. Let's arise. The Lord will help us in Jesus' name. So, I mean, if you're here today and you never asked Jesus to come into your life, Jesus saves and he has called us. He's calling you to come. He's saying, I love you. Come home. I mean, Pastor John, we have many leaders here this morning. We can see 50 to 70 of our leaders. I'm going to be here again this morning. We have tons of leaders in this room. So please, if you're here, we've never given our life to Christ. Jesus loves you. He doesn't want a single one person to perish. And he's calling us all to come back home. Let us pray. I want you to pray for yourself this morning. Whether you're in the category of someone who has never believed in Jesus, I beg you, friends, ask Jesus to come into your heart. Whether you're in the category of the believer who feels insufficient like me to do the works of Jesus, why don't we ask God for compassion, a sense of responsibility, effective power? Let's pray for ourselves right now. God, help me. I need your power, your compassion. I want to do it the way Jesus did it. Let's pray for ourselves right now. Let's pray for 30 seconds, and I'm going to pray us out of here now. Talk to Jesus right now, my friends. He knows exactly where you are. Ask him for the power you need. Ask him for the compassion you need. Ask him this morning. Father, as we pray together this morning, Lord, I pray you will, by your spirit, help us to understand the things you have freely given to us. You've given us this authority to do your works in a groaning world. Lord, help us in the name of Jesus. I'm praying for my friends this morning that will live out here empowered and stand up to go out and do the works of Jesus. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.